Episode 3, Luther the Monk. This episode is brought to you by monks. They were the only people who could write for a very long time. So two weeks after Luther had been struck on the head by God, he had already reorganized his life to, you know, leaving school, going against his parents and entering an Augustinian monastery. He was to begin with a year of probation, learning how to be a priest. The initiation rite that Luther would have gone through to enter the order would have been conducted by a prior of the order. And according to tradition, so the last part of the process would have involved the prior saying something like, Not he that hath begun, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, in the coming years, Luther would rail against vows and rituals such as the one he here went through. However, I do wonder if those words ever came to him or strengthened him in in times when he would come under such intense pressure that all he could do was endure, and all he wanted was to be saved. It's an interesting concept to think about. In 1510, Luther was sent to Rome as a part of this two-man mission. Uh, It was to settle some dispute within the Augustinian order. Rome, the ancient holy city, the center of Catholicism and the seat of St. Peter, Luther was in full-mode Catholic, remember? So as he approached the city, he cried out, Hail! Holy Rome! In exactly that way. At this time, within the structure and the doctrine of the church, there's a couple of things we need to go into here, because there was this full litany of rituals and rites that one could engage in. And by doing this, you could sort of bank spiritual merits. I'm really going to try to avoid getting into the theology of the church because, well, this story is basically about what happens when someone does, but I'm going to try to nutshell some of the basic premises that caused the great disturbance in the force that was coming. I'm also going to try to avoid any more Star Wars references as the theology will get completely messed up. Basically, doctrine stated that Jesus and all the saints in heaven possessed this infinite amount of what was called merits. And these were like credit tokens for heaven. So humans could perform various rites and rituals, as well as a whole lot of other things, to be loaned these merits for either themselves or somebody else. The somebody else was usually a dead family member who was presumed to be stuck in purgatory, this halfway point between heaven and hell. And that dead family member was awaiting the moment when they had done enough penance, enough time in purgatory to be permitted into heaven. The merits that you could attain for them or for yourself would reduce that amount of time in purgatory. Rome was like this full-blown fun park for gaining these merits. It was so big and ancient and holy that there were a ridiculous amount of rituals and rites and things one could do to just chip away time from purgatory, either for oneself or for another. So when Luther was in Rome, he took full advantage of this. Now the city had by now also gone full mode of renaissance. 
One of the greatest explosions in European artistry was happening all around Luther, but all he was concerned with was performing his duties as a monk and with making the most of his time available to gain these merits. At the time, St. Peter's Basilica, today one of Rome's most famous landmarks, was only in its beginning phase of construction. The foundations had been laid, but no more. It was an ambitious and a great project, and it would require lots of money, lots of funds to realize. And this is a very important part in our story, so remember it, or not. Do whatever you like. Luther was in Rome for a month performing all kinds of rituals that he would later come to detest. It's one of those odd things. He was in confession almost constantly, and apparently he became very distressed and disillusioned by the efforts of the Italian priests that he was seeing in Rome. They were like mass, mass producers, as in they went through the Catholic mass very quickly. It is said that they would say six or seven masses in the time it would take Luther to say one, and he was appalled by this. Another thing that really upset Luther was what he saw happening with the sacrament of the Holy Communion. Communion. Sorry, that's a word I'm still working with. Whereby the minister who had been officially ordained, so you've got the priests, and they have been ordained by the all-powerful authority of the church. And through the sacrament of the Holy Communion, the minister was empowered with transforming bread and wine into the actual body and blood of Christ. Not figuratively, but literally. It was a big deal. And what Luther saw was some Italian priests. Although it's got to be pointed out that this kind of behavior was not confined to Italy, but Luther saw it in Italy. And he was shocked because what he saw them doing was dismissing the whole sacrament. He heard some uh, priests say something like, Bread thou art, and bread thou shalt remain. And so Luther here, he began to see, I guess, a frailty in the clerical order. He, he began to question the sanctity and the authority of priests. And this is an important step. How could such morally re- reprehensible men be an authority on his spirituality? How could they be responsible for the well-being of people's souls? But the really big moment for Luther in Rome came as he was climbing some holy stairs, and they were called Pilati stairs. He was doing this in the required fashion so as to gain as many of these merit points as possible. It was a ritual. He took each one on his hands and his knees, he kissed every step as he ascended, and he said a pater noster, our dear father, a brief prayer to the Lord. By doing this, he was able to assign the merit points that he was gaining to somebody who was dead. Apparently, he actually said he was aggrieved that his parents were still alive because he could not grant them so huge and signal a favor. Instead, he had to grant them to his dead grandfather, who would have been very appreciative, I am sure. So here we've got our highly intelligent, thoughtful to the point of depression, 27-year-old monk who had already shown himself capable of defiance and questioning thought, And he's climbing a staircase on his hands and his knees in an offer of grace to his dead grandfather. I won't speak for you, but I wouldn't even get this far in the process before saying, fuck this. But I live in a post-Luther world. Whether he doubted this action as he ascended the stairs is impossible to know. 
I do wonder when the doubt dawned on him, but apparently reaching the top and completing the ritual, he managed to muster far more profound words than I am obviously capable when he asked himself, quote, who knows whether it is so, end quote. This is huge because the answer, as everybody knew, was not even up for question. The Pope knew. This was deemed true by church doctrine and the Pope was the church. To even question the sanctity and the legitimacy of these holy stairs was to question the Pope and the church, even if indirectly. Now Luther had made a little tear in the fabric of his reality. He was torn himself and his depressions would intensify from here on, but he was beginning his second resistance, which would be one against himself and against that pervasive despair. But before we get to that, we need to understand more some of the context of the time and place in which Luther lived. In the next episode, we will do just that. America, we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.